Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Good, we're all here. Good, yeah. Who is Jesus? We've been going through a series on the essentials of our faith. As I said this morning to Pastor Todd, Pastor Todd, I've been asked to talk about Jesus. I don't think he's one of the essentials. I think he is the essential. So let's begin this morning by just setting this as our sort of point of reference that we're not going to talk about Jesus as one of our doctrines because, because we believe, those of us who are Christians believe that he's more than just one of our doctrines. He is the one through who all doctrines must be understood. That he's not the starting point, he's not the starting kit, he's not the, uh, the, the one who leads us to the truth. He is the truth. He embodies the truth. He is the center of our faith. And as my friend Tim Gillespie puts it, he's the center and the circumference of our faith. Sometimes when we talk about our faith, we get lost in all of the things we've added to it. But truly, we're one doctrine movement, a one doctrine movement. We are Christians. We believe that everything we understand about the universe, everything you understand about God is contained in the person of Jesus Christ. As was read this morning already by my cousin, Yomaris. That's the best reading of Colossians 1 I have ever heard. Um, he is before all things. He is before all things. And he holds all things together, is what Paul says. So for a moment, let's just talk about um, who Jesus is from the perspective of Paul and his writing to the Colossians. The Colossians church has three problems. Paul is going to address all three problems. He begins by saying, you've got some problems, let's talk about them. But first, he says, let me address the first problem, the first issue by lifting your eyes to Jesus. The Colossian church has three problems. He's going to talk about them later. The first one is that they have demoted Jesus. They've made Jesus equal with the angels, equal with other gods. He's become kind of part of their belief system. And if we pay attention, if we're, if we're attentive today, often we do the same thing with Jesus. He's part of our belief system. We've demoted him. Paul says, you've got a problem. You've demoted Jesus. You've made him part of your pantheon. The other problem he's going to address is what happens with you when you demote Jesus and you turn on each other. You argue with each other about what matters most, what's more important. And then that leads to all other kinds of problems with sin and behaviors, which he addresses later in the, in the book of Colossians. But first, why have you demoted Jesus? This is what Paul wants to address. He wants to go for that. Um, and instead of beginning with the list of things they're doing wrong, Paul begins with this great hymn of the Colossians, what we call it. It is a hymn. It is a song. He teaches them a song. Or he reminds them of a song that they may already know. This is kind of a side note, but it really matters. Remember this, that, that from the very earliest days of our Christian faith, we have sung our faith before we discussed it, before we had theological speculations about who Jesus was, we actually sang our faith first. And you too will do the same today. When you leave here, you'll forget every word that I said, but you'll remember, Jesus, you are Lord of all. Won't you? All the stuff I said, it's, I mean, and, I, and I'm going to say some amazing things. I don't see anyone writing anything down. Come on, Advent Hope. I'm about to drop some amazing pearls of knowledge and wisdom and 
and theology is coming your way, you won't remember any of this. Why? Because you'll remember the music before we were talking about our faith, before we had discussions and arguments and documents and papers and PhDs about Christology. We had, we had music, and our music said things like, Jesus loves me. Oh, you know, good. How does the rest go? Oh, some of you went to tiny toss, tater toss, whatever you call them here. <laughs> we teach this to our kids because we want them to remember it. And, and they won't remember all the silly things we say downstairs, but they'll remember the music, won't they? Before we had theological discussions and papers and arguments and et cetera, we, we were a one-doctor movement. Before we had all of that, we had music. We sang our faith because we know that the rhythm and the cadence and the, all that sticks in our soul. And often we'll sing things we may not even believe yet, won't we? We say, Jesus, you are Lord. And some of us will sing that not really understanding exactly what we're saying. The profound truths of Colossians 1, 15. Ah, this is really, so, so Paul, his, his move is this. Instead of going, hey, you know what? Here's all the sins you're committing. You're, you're involved in all kinds of immorality. You're involved in all kinds of arguments with each other. You're demeaning with each other. You're, you have slavery as an issue in your, in your church. Before he gets to all that, he begins by saying, lift your eyes to the cosmic, panoramic, beautiful Jesus. As Paul knows, when we are in need, in trouble, in lost, a new set of rules, regulations, policy, more meetings aren't going to solve the problem. Lifting our eyes to the reason for our faith, Jesus, is actually the answer. One author, Michael Gorman, puts it this way. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Find your joy complete in him. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Get a glimpse of the panoramic joy found in him. And that will be enough to exhaust the minds of mere mortals. Exhaust the minds of mere mortals. You know what that means, to exhaust the minds of mere mortals? My son, when, um, when he fell in love with Legos, like every child should do. Anyone? Am I, is that not a New York thing, Legos? Because back in the West, we have a thing called Legos. Little <laughs> blocks or plastic, you stab them together and... Um, when I, was, when I was young, we were usually handed a bucket full of random pieces and we were told, have fun, be creative, enjoy. Nowadays, you know, Lego only sells you kits. Are you with me? Those kits are great. And by the way, some of you love the kits and you prefer the kids, go for it. Some of you go to the store and you spend the $500 on the Death Star. Some of you want that Millennium Falcon, which is also $500. <laughs> Think about this. Um, brother, eat or have the Millennium Falcon um, for a month. My son has fallen in love with those kids. Oh, when he first got it, when he got his first kid, he put it together. He loved this. I was like, look, Dad, look what I've done. I was like, I know. Then he got another kid and another kid. Now our, his room is full of Lego kits. And one day, after he was done building the kits, he decided he wanted to do something else with these pieces, but he couldn't. Why? Because these pieces are designed to do one thing. And he made a, a terrible mistake. He actually combined three kids. And once you combine them, you can't go back, can you? That's nearly impossible. He took all these pieces, 
and he made something new out of some other spaceship. And he brought it to me proudly and said, look, look, that, look what I've done. I said, that's really awesome and also unfortunate. <laughs> because those three things can never go back to what they used to be. He went back and tore it all up and he built something else. And he, got, he began to get frustrated because he wanted to build something else with, with his Legos. And he couldn't because he was missing pieces. And these kids come all prepared and formed into the specific shape you're supposed to have. So one day he comes out and he says, you know, if I had 20 of these pieces, the green ones and the blue ones and, the, and a couple of red ones of this size, I could actually make my dream, my vision happen for the space station I want to build. I said, well, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for you. It's going to transform your life. I took him to the Lego store. Do you have those here? It is, it is a religious, spiritual experience <laughs> if you're a Lego person. We walk in and immediately he begins, he begins his walk into the store by noticing all of the kids. And the kids are a temptation to him. I mean, he could settle for one of these prefab imaginations from some factory somewhere in Denmark. <laughs> he could say, I'm going to settle for that or I'm going to set up for this. And I had to say, nobody, that's not what we're here to do. Today, we're walking to the back wall. Why? Because the back wall is where the wonder is. If he settles for one of these kits that he's been shown and he's tempted by and he's drawn to, he will never get to the back wall where real wonder is. And so we finally made it to the back wall. Have you been to the back wall? Yeah. <laughs> If you're a Lego person, this, this is it right here. When you get to the back wall, there's a wall full of every piece you could ever imagine in every size and every color. And if you're a good dad, you pay the $20. There's also a $30 bucket, but I'm not that good a dad. And your kid, your child, your, your child gets this bucket and they put in it whatever they want, any kind of piece they want. But first, Micah stood there holding his bucket, shaking. It was too much. All of this possibility was exhausting his mere human mind. What else is possible? I have settled for kits. We, we often, often settle for faith that is kits, prefab kits that were handed and we were and we're told this is the way it's supposed to be, and this is the way you're supposed to believe. And, it, and, we, and we demote Jesus by conforming him to our image and who we want him to be instead of lifting our eyes to what Paul has shown you, which is the image of the invisible God made flesh in a person, Jesus. He can only transform our lives if he is, in fact, God with us. Uh, the church, man, this, this is such an awesome place. I love the little lights, and the music is exceptional. Can you please come to my church, musicians, all of you? I don't know why they pay you here. I will pay you the same. I can't double it. I will pay you the same <laughs> with better weather. <laughs> uh, we, we, we do our best to make this place a connecting place, but this will never replace the center of our faith will not be this. We're not churchians. We're Christians. We follow Jesus. 
We get together in places like this to remember this and remind ourselves that there's a center in our faith. We follow a man who made claims about himself. Every other, every other thing will disappoint us. The church will disappoint us. It will. This is a, this is a, it's not, I grew up calling it or hearing it called a hospital for sinners. That can't be right because you eventually get well and you leave hospitals. No one's ever leaving here. We're a long-term care facility. <laughs> Permanent rehab center <laughs> for those who are looking to Jesus. What does Paul do? Paul begins by saying, lift your eyes. We don't serve a worldview. Often we demote Jesus, we call him a worldview. Who is Jesus? He's not just a worldview. A worldview will never, will never heal you, will never hold you, will never sustain you like a person who made claims about himself being God will. When I read my Bible, I see people running to Jesus and saying, if you, if you could, would you please heal me? They don't run to a person or a priest or a, or a synagogue or a set of ethical teachings or doctrines. They run to a person, a man who can heal them. When I read my Bible, I find Jesus saying, follow me, not follow my, my teachings. Uh, he says, follow me. I'm going to lead you places. When I read my Bible, I find that our future is with this Jesus who claims that he's the one that created us, as, as Paul has told us. When I read my Bible, I find that this Jesus loves us so much, he went to a cross to demonstrate the depths of God's love. When I read my Bible, I find that Jesus was resurrected on the third day and that we, the resurrected Christ, the community of people who believe in this, will always be power, a powerful change in the world because we trust these words to be true. When we demote Jesus, that's when the problems begin. We turn on each other. What are you wearing today? What's going on? What are you drinking today? What's happening? Where were you last night? Where, why, why, would, why would he be in charge? Why would she be? When we take our eyes off of Jesus, the problems begin. He's more than a worldview. He's more than a, in a set of ethical and and, and good teachings that, that, that tell us how to function in the world. He's, he embodies those teachings. At home, I tell my students all the time, he's more than, than social justice. Yeah, Jesus wants the poor taken care of, the alien being housed. He wants, he wants, the, poor, he wants the world healed in his name. But that, our, the cause is not Jesus. Jesus leads us to the cause. He is the king. This is his kingdom. We sing and talk about his kingdom being established in the world. And sometimes we forget that a kingdom needs a king. He is the king. He will always lead us to the things that need repairing in the world. We follow him to those things. Tom's shoes are no longer cool, apparently. We can't latch on to a cause. People need shoes in places where there's no shoes. So let's just be about Tom's shoes. And when Tom's shoes quit being cool, I know your pastor Kyle invested heavily in Tom's shoes. Poor people still needed shoes. <laughs> Jesus leads us always to the, to, the, to the thing that needs to be repaired, but we're following him. He's showing us that. He's showing us that. Um, we follow a, a man, a person, not. We don't follow a pastor. 
We don't follow a church. We're not churchians. We don't follow a, a set of neatly organized doctrinal statements. We follow Jesus. And our great, like our great risky claim is that he can be known. He can be embodied. He can be, by his people, he can be worshipped. And that is ultimately what transforms, transforms the world. What Micah experienced that day at the back wall was wonder. And that is the one thing that God always promises us. He doesn't promise safety. He doesn't promise prosperity. He doesn't promise that life is going to be awesome if we're just following. He says, wonder. Stand at the back wall and witness what is possible. Do not settle for the kids around you that tempt you. I know the kids are good. Ikea, I love Ikea. <laughs> but when you get home from Ikea, you got a box with one thing you can build. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is everything is possible when your eyes are lifted and on him. Now, the second issue that Paul is addressing here. Second issue is that um, they were behaving poorly. These Colossians, ah, the things they were up to were just not great. And Paul says to them, first, lift your eyes to Jesus, and when you have accomplished this, then we can have spent a couple of chapters of the book talking a little bit about your behavior. But first, let's get our hearts set correctly on Jesus. When my wife and I were, um, we have, my wife and I have this beautiful, um, beautiful daughter. She's intelligent, compliant, obedient, uh, beautiful. And then we have this other son I told you about. Um, he's a bit of trouble. Um, when our daughter was, when she, was, she first came into the world, like many of you parents, you hold your baby and you know this. This baby is the most beautiful baby in the world. It's not, but for you it is. <laughs> there's nothing like holding your own flesh and blood and going, there's never been, maybe the baby Jesus was pretty, but this baby, look at it. Uh, and we, we, we went to church the first Sabbath after we have had our child. We go to church, and, and there's this weird practice we have in our churches where everyone gets to hold a new baby. I said no to that. This is my baby. We don't pass it around. Uh, I don't know anything about microbiology, but I, I know there's risk with letting you hold a baby. So this one's mine. Get your own. Now, ladies, we're gonna be, can I hold the baby? I'm like, no, we, we were just weird about this. No, we're going to hold the baby. You get your own. <laughs> uh, well, one day, because we were raising our kids, this child, away from family, we're one of the few Leonors, my cousin knows is living on the West Coast, actually the only Leonors. Um, we have no family around, so we didn't have any grandparents, abuelos, that we could turn the baby into for a few hours to go do something. Um, we had no cousins, no tias, no tios, nothing. Um, so uh, we began to really stress about who's going to, there are days when we can't take care of the baby. Finally, I, I work on a university campus, and finally one day we met her, the only person qualified to hold the baby. And this is how we knew she was qualified. When she saw my little alley, her first words were, Oh, you're gorgeous. Shelly and I, when we looked at each other, she said, yes, she knows. You can hold the baby. 
From that day on, a relationship formed between those two that was something extraordinary. Uh, it always began with this pronouncement upon my daughter's life. You are gorgeous. Every greeting, every time they met, she would grab her and go, you are gorgeous. Hello, gorgeous. And this began to seep into her consciousness, into her soul. I am gorgeous. And she grew up with this, this truth, I am gorgeous. Because this person tells me I'm gorgeous. I am gorgeous. Uh, we tell her we're going out for a while. Tonight you're on your own, you're Marnie. And she'd run to the front door and stand at it, waiting. She was two years old, shaking, waiting. The door that would ring, the door would open, and it was like a routine. Like the door would open, hello, gorgeous. Yes, I am gorgeous. <laughs> oh man, it was so good. Um, and you know what, what was also happening is that, um, is that because she was being told who she already was, not who she should become, it was shaping everything in her life. So one day I'm taking care of her, um, one of the few times I'm trusted by my wife a couple times a week to be with, with Ali by myself, and I'm doing her hair with the one move I have, which is one ponytail on the back. And she goes, no, no, two, two ponytails here. I said, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, and she goes, uh, please. And I said, why? That's the way Marnie likes it. Yeah. Okay. Um, a couple weeks later, I'm giving her the standard breakfast in my house, which is a bowl of cereal, a little granola, homemade, um, and milk. And she goes, no, no. No, no, no. Applesauce first, then almond milk, like, we don't have that, and then this, the granola on top. I said, we don't eat that way. What? That's the way Marty likes it. <laughs> oh. So, no, you're, so your appearance is conforming to my, and now you, your, your eating is also, oh, okay. It became an obsession we grew up with, with Rides in the car being about Marnie. Am I going to be tall like Marnie? We don't know. Your genetics probably, I don't know. Will, am I going to be beautiful like Marnie? You already are gorgeous. Am I going to be Marnie, 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 Marnie? Um, one day, one day at church, Marnie's up front leading the singing like, you know, like you do. And, and Allie's sitting in the front row just staring at her. And Marnie goes, come here. Uh, it, was, it was the best day of her life. She ran to the front and stood next to Marnie just like this, hoping not to mess it up. She would look at me and go, take a picture, take a picture. <laughs> I have a picture of her just standing like this, like smiling. Marnie got engaged to a great, great guy. His name was Kevin. Um, and we knew it was coming. They came to the house to... You know, to ask for my family's participation in the wedding, and they asked me to officiate. I said, "Of course, it'd be an honor." Um, they asked Micah to be my little my little boy, Micah to be the Bible boy, and he said, "Yeah, can I go play now?" Yeah, go. Um, and then there wasn't even an asking; the words didn't come out. It was just tears and hugging, and and would you be the flower? Yeah, it, it, you know, wedding day. I would like to describe it to you. I'm the officiant standing here. Micah, my son, is standing here. Is this being recorded? Okay. 
this kid is standing next to me. He is um, picking his nose and eating the contents. <laughs> I notice him doing this, but he's too far away from me, dude, for me to stop, stop, stop. Finally, at a break during the ceremony, I finally got my foot over. I was like, buddy, buddy. And he looked at me. You can actually see this in the video. He looks at me like, oh, I am so sorry. How rude of me to do this in front of everybody. Let me cover up so no one can. <laughs> Since I don't have enough to share, I'll just do it privately. And then on this side is the flower girl looking up at the bride. I have a picture of the bride I brought with me. Um, this is, in, she's preparing for, for the ceremony. Um, and the next picture is one of my favorites of my daughter. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that is all she did all day long. It was a, a complete sort of implantation of Marnie into her soul. She wanted to, she loved her so much. She was so obsessed with her. Her eyes on her all day long. She had found her greatest joy in this gaze. When Paul says, he is before all things, he's trying to draw our gaze to him. To Jesus. If you've ever been con just confused about what you believe in, lift your eyes. If you've ever been in a conversation somewhere, someone asks you, what do you believe in? Don't complicate this. We believe in Jesus. Even if we don't understand all of the ins and outs of what it means, God, word, right, remember this. We have one center in our faith and a circumference. It is Jesus. Lift your eyes to him. When Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, it's because some of us needed something tangible to believe in because we can't keep believing in some ethereal out there God. So God said, here it is, flesh. You can believe in that. Now, one author, N.T. Wright, puts it this way, the word became flesh. He was one of us. Why do we keep trying to turn him simply into words? Words of affirmation, words of truth, words of doctrine. When what the world needs Today, again, over and over again, is an enfleshed Jesus, a real Jesus we can love and trust and follow. If you've ever been confused about what we believe in, the other things are peripheral. Everything is peripheral to Jesus. And when our gaze turns to Jesus, everything changes. The way we, you want to talk about the way we eat? The way we look? The way we move in the world? the things that become important to us, the things that we care about, it all becomes, becomes part of us because our attention has been on the right thing. Jesus. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the image of the invisible God. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us such a beautiful, simple, and easy-to-follow center. It is Jesus the Lord. Amen.